Good morning. It's so good to see you out, kids, fifth grade and under. Thanks for being upstairs with us the first half. You guys can make your way down to Clubhouse and have a great time down there with your time of teaching and worship and all of those great things that happen in Clubhouse Kids. The rest of you, please join me in your Bibles in the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 1. Last week, we looked at friendship in the life of David and Jonathan and what a giant that can be in our life. And we were in 1 Samuel. This week, we continue with David's life in 2 Samuel, the first chapter, as we face off this weekend with the giant of grief. Now, it's good to see faces out there, uh, guests with us for the first time. We welcome you, and those of you that are new to MCC, it's good to see you back every week. And we have so many joining us online, especially this weekend. We have 80-plus of our students and adults over at Wonder Valley Camp. They went over Friday night, and they'll come back this afternoon. But they have had a great, great time with the Lord and with each other over there as they have been talking about what it means to make room for God in their life. And so I, I want you to just join me in welcoming some of them that are watching online today from their homes. And one last thing that I want to acknowledge, and I'll do this periodically, especially during this season where the flu and all these different bugs are going around. Thank you. Thank you for being such a great church. We've been gathering since back at Mother's Day. And you know, no one has gotten ill from being here, not with dysentery or anything else. But, uh, but I want to thank you for wearing your mask when you feel like you need to wear your mask so that when you come in really close contact, if that makes you feel safer, then I want you to do that. And those of you who aren't, I thank you for keeping your distance and when you're sneezing and coughing and things like that, for even watching online and most importantly, wash your hands, right? Right? There's nothing worse than seeing a guy come out of the men's room and want to shake your hand and you can tell they haven't washed it, right? There's nothing worse than that. And I'm sure ladies, you agree, right? Ladies are the worst at that. But anyway, anyway, this weekend, this is a serious, serious subject. And I think this is one of the biggest giants that we come up against as we're going to acknowledge in our service today that just keeps showing his face over and over again. It's not as simple as conquering the giant Goliath, right? The giant Goliath, David took out his sword, the Goliath sword, cut his head off and shishabobbed him, right? My favorite part of the story. My favorite part of the story, but this is a giant that, that, isn't, that isn't that easily put aside. Last night when I came up to preach, I, I looked over at my wife, Sarah, and she has these big brown eyes. She has her father's eyes. Now, last night when I looked in her eyes, they were tired because she'd been over with the kids at Wonder Valley and hadn't slept so much. But in that moment, she looked just like her daddy. There's other times that she looks like her daddy too, and I call her Daryl, and those aren't really good times in our marriage. But from the day I married Sarah, I knew the day would come when we would mourn the loss of her dad. Now, now you had to know her dad to appreciate what I'm saying. His four daughters revered him. They loved him. They, they worshiped him, kind of like Dan and Eddie Van Halen. He was the rock that held his five sisters and his brother, his entire family together. He was an icon of such. But, 
But we knew the day would come when a sack of powdered donuts, and I'm not talking about that little lady sack that you buy today. I'm talking about the man's bag of powdered donuts that we used to be able to buy, right, Brandon? He would eat one of those every night with two packs of cigarettes and a two liter of Diet Coke every night, every night. Doc had this laugh that was contagious, right? Those of you who have smoked pretty heavy in your life, you know the laugh. You get to laughing and chuckling, and then all of a sudden, it's as if you swallowed a peanut the wrong way, and you have this cough, and you cough, and you cough. And he would do that. He would turn red all over. He couldn't get his breath, and we would just, we'd just break out and laugh at him. Now I'm the one that they laugh at when I get choked coughing. Proverbs 14.3 says, Though even in laughter the heart may ache and joy may end in grief. Even in those joy-filled moments, my heart ached because I knew the time would come when we would have to grieve his death. And we have grieved his death for the last 11, the last 11 years. When that time comes or has come in your life, what do you do? Do you face the giant alone? Do you try to just get through it and survive it? Do you allow yourself a period of time that, that someone else has prescribed to you to grieve and then, and then you simply move on? Well, as someone who has faced this giant from as long ago as 40 years when I lost my grandfather to death after his son committed suicide in his very own driveway, my grandfather died of a broken heart. I have mourned his death and the death of many other loved ones in my life over the last 40 years, I want to give you everything that I know to help you so that when your time comes, you can face off with the giant grief in the most effective way that God has for you. So let's bow our heads and let's pray and then let's dive into this subject. Father, just speaking your name, knowing that we have the privilege of coming to you in prayer just now, we are encouraged to be able to call you Father. We're grateful that we aren't the first to face off with this giant called grief. We can look through your word and we can see many who have, including your son, Jesus Christ, who grieved and mourned. We have the example of believers who are around us today. We have each other and we have you living inside of us. May our hearts receive your word today. And may our lives reflect this as we face this giant, not alone, but with each other and with you. It's in the name of Jesus, our Redeemer, that we pray. Amen. Well, as I said, grief is a giant that we all must face. Grief comes in a variety of ways. Grief comes at the death of a, a child, a parent, a friend. Grief comes at the diagnosis of disease. The moment that the C word is mentioned, we begin the process of grieving. Grief that we experience at the loss of a job. Any type of change in our life. The change of seasons when your children grow up and go off to college. Yes, there's a time of celebration, but there's also grief with that change. Grief is common to the human experience. 
And so this morning in our text, we're going to look at two examples of facing off with grief in the life of David. And I chose the first because we spent so much time talking about the depth of the friendship that David had with Jonathan. And so we're going to pick up just a little bit later in their friendship in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. We read, After the death of Saul, David returned from defeating the Amalekites and stayed in Ziklag two days. On the third day, and many of you will remember this day for the rest of your life, when you get that call, when a police officer shows up at your door, On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and with dust on his head. When he came to David, he fell to the ground to pay him honor. Verse 3, where have you come from, David asked him. He answered, I have escaped from the Israelite camp. What happened, David asked, tell me. The man said, the men fled. The men fled from the battle. Many of them fell and died. Saul and his son Jonathan are dead. Verse 11. Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan, for the army of the Lord and the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Grief. Grief in your life and mine is a natural response to loss. Grief is as natural as breathing is. Grief is a natural response to any loss. Here, the news had been delivered that both the king of Israel, Saul, has died, but even more so that Jonathan's, David's friend Jonathan, the one whom they had swore friendship, the promise that had been made, the covenant had been made, that that friendship could only be severed by death, that they would care for and love each other's family. David's closest friend, Jonathan, has now been killed in battle. And David's first question, verse 4 how did it happen? How did it happen? Isn't it that the way that we always, almost always, begin processing any form of loss? We want to know why. We want to know when. We want to know how. How was it that my job was chosen to be cut? What is it that the MRI showed exactly? What does this mean? How did it happen? Has the cancer spread? Why are you leaving, Daddy? Why are you leaving mommy, daddy? And then there are tears. There's mourning and a multitude of emotions. Sometimes we cycle through all of these emotions. Sometimes we just hit three or four. I say it this way. Grief has many faces. This isn't a giant that just has one face, one look. Grief can appear, can appear in many, many different forms. I, instead of saying the grief cycle, I say the faces of grief. Let me list some of them for you because it's important for us to recognize part of dealing with this giant is what? Being able to recognize the giant. It was one of the first things that we spoke about 
in this series that we must know our giant, but we must know God better, right? And so let's talk about how we can recognize this giant if this giant grief has many faces. The first face that we often see, and it's not in any particular order that he shows these faces, but the first face that we often see is denial. We think, and sometimes we say it out loud, this can't be happening to me. This can't be happening to to this family. It, It just can't be true. And many times, even when we don't say it, there's a part of our body that does not accept it at all until, until the first time that we come home after being gone for several hours and, and we come into our house to a quiet house that was never quiet before. Or we pick up that phone to make that daily phone call that we have made over and over again for years. Or we get up to go to work and then all of a sudden we realize that the job we've had for 20 years is no longer ours. There's denial. This can't be happening to me. There's regret and guilt. And I put these two together. And listen, if you walk away with anything today, I'm going to give you the tools that you need. And these tools are all in a bag called truth. Truth. But there's regret and guilt if only I have a friend and he beats himself up now three years later, four years later, if I had just called the ambulance sooner. I should have worked harder. I should have tried harder. One of the things that I do when people come in for for marital counseling, and and, you know, you guys come to me when it's already over, right? Right? It's just like when you made the decision that you're going to go on to another church. You've already thought through it. You've already made up your mind. Some of you just pay me the respect of saying, hey, we're gone, right? Right? No. No. You have to face these things early on. Second guessing is a big part of this giant anger. I think of the prophet Elijah who was told to take a stand before King Ahab. When things got bad, remember what Elijah cried out? You remember? He thought that he was the only one. God, they have killed them all. I've done my best for you, and I'm the only one left. 1 Kings 19.10, you can read all about it. I remember, and some of you have been there too. I remember my first wife's first brain surgery for what was diagnosed our first year of marriage as a brain tumor. I remember Dr. Garnaschelli and Dr. Petruska. I'll never forget their names. They were said to be the best in Louisville. And I remember them coming out after doing that first surgery and saying, there is no hope. It can't be removed. Take her home. How do you take a 22-year-old beautiful woman home to die. I remember being so angry, not at that moment, but when a week later we found a surgeon that said, of course we can take that out. That surgeon was 75 years old and he did. And I remember being so angry, so angry at that doctor, bargaining 
Bargaining, we're going to get to this in the second example here from David's life. But bargaining is when we go to God and say, God, if you'll fix this. (laughs) And what man or woman hasn't? But God, if you'll fix this, I promise I'll trust you the next time. God, if you'll fix this, I'll take the kids to church. God, if you fix this, I'll never cheat again. I've heard many, many a husband say, and I'm sure wives have said it too, if you'll take this cancer, if you'll take this liver disease, if if you'll take this hurt, if you'll put it on me, God, I will take it. Just let it go from them. Please, God, I'll do anything for you. And then there's depression. In a couple of weeks, we're going to devote an entire weekend to this giant But I want you to know depression is part of grieving. Don't be ashamed. Don't feel like something's wrong with you. It's grief. There are days that you just won't want to get out of bed. There are days that you will not feel like eating, no matter the best food put before you. There'll be days when your mind is so distracted and unfocused, you're unable to focus properly. What is that? It's depression. It's okay. Some of you have been with your spouse or with your loved ones so long caring for their needs that your body has been depleted of the chemicals and the minerals that it needs and you will fall into a chemical depression. It's not your fault. It's not a lack of spiritual strength in your life. It happens. It's one of the faces of this giant called grief. And the truth is, friends, we cycle through these faces over and over again. In fact, it's my experience that this is a giant that we cannot, that we cannot slay. But one we will face off with until the Lord returns for us. However, however, the amount of time that we spend and the amount of time that we give to each one of these faces of grief is up to us. And that can and will diminish with time and with the tools that I'm going to give you, the weapons that I'm going to give you today. So it's important for you to know this second thing about this giant. Feelings of grief are temporary, but often never completely go away. The psalmist wrote, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. There is always always a change in faces there are times when you don't have to look at any of those faces and you will feel whole again and the longer that you go and recognize this and the reality that you need to be looking for the next face and be aware of it the sooner you'll get here In verse 11, David and his men, it says, tore their clothes that day and fasted until evening. David then took to writing. He writes this lament, and he not just keeps it for himself, but he passes around to all the other men that are grieving. And what does he say? I want you to memorize this. I want you to speak this out loud. I want to help you, and I want to help me process this. And in chapter 2, verse 1, we read these words. This is after their clothes have been torn. This is after they write this lament and they memorize it. It says, in the course of time, time, David inquired of the Lord, 
Shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? The Lord answered, Go up. David asked, Where shall I go, Lord? To Hebron, the Lord answered. What does this mean? David and the men and the community moved forward after Jonathan's tragic death. Now, some things that we don't see here. Number one, God didn't make them stay. God did not prescribe a period of grief for them and say, you stay here, you grieve, you continue writing your laments, and then you can go. Also notice there was action on David's part. David said, Lord, right? What's next? Where do you want me to go? When? When's it okay for me to go? I've often shared with our grief group that two weeks after my first wife died of cancer, 10 years after she was diagnosed, I found myself in the kitchen floor weeping uncontrollably. I'm, I'm not a crier. I, you can come up and punch me and I won't cry. It just, it just doesn't happen very often. I suppose it's because of the number of things that I've encountered in my life that would make me cry. And so for 10 years, I didn't cry in front of my wife. I thought it was the best thing that I could do was to be strong and not show that because if I cried, she would cry. And, and so the time came, and my, my preacher at the time, he did the best that he could, but, but he told me, he said, I was on staff part-time, and he said, you know, you need to stay home. You need to stay home for a couple of weeks. I've shared this with some of you before. You need to stay home for a couple of weeks because these people will suck you dry. Nothing could be farther from the truth. I'll get to that in a moment. So I went home, and I stayed by myself. <laughs> and at the end of that two weeks, I found myself laid out on the floor, weeping so hard that I couldn't get my breath, as if someone had punched me in the gut. I could not get my breath. And I cried out these words to the Lord. Now, God has done miraculous things in a lot of people's lives. He hasn't done a lot of real overt things in my life where I could say, oh, God, there you are. That was really big, right? And then put it on you that if you're not big enough Christian, uh, that's why things don't happen in your life. Don't, don't misunderstand. There, there's been two of those times in my life where I was like, God, that couldn't have been anybody else. This was one of them. I was laying there. I couldn't get my breath. I prayed these words, simple. God, take my life right now. Just take my life right now. Wasn't suicidal. I just said, take my life. Or remove this from me. Let me go. And it was as if he took an air hose and stuck it in my nose. And air came into my body. You've hyperventilated before. That's what I was doing. And it came into my body and I stood up and I moved forward. Now listen, moving forward doesn't mean that you're over it. Moving forward doesn't mean that you have finished grieving. Remember, grief never completely goes away. But here's what happens. Grief is the silent giant that's often lurking underneath and we don't always recognize him. <laughs> Grief is the silent giant from this point forward that's always lurking underneath and we don't always recognize him. Over time, even when we successfully begin a new relationship, when we've ended a broken one, 
over time when we get settled into a new job, a job that was better than the one that was taken from us, or, or we've had to relocate to a new community and we've left all these friends and, and we grieve the loss of these friends and, and we're in this new community and we start making new friends. Even when we go on to adopt a child or focus on a grandchild in the absence of a child or infertility, there are still feelings of anger that come to the surface. There are still feelings of despair that come over us like a wet blanket. There are still times of regret. There are still times of extreme loneliness that surface. And we many times don't even recognize where those feelings are come from. <laughs> it's true. How many of you have experienced that in your life? Some of you that are two or three years into your husband or your child or your friend being gone. Maybe you've suffered two or three losses since then. But there'll be those days. I remember there being days about year five and six where even though I was married, I, I now had a young family that I was raising, there would be days that I would feel so down and not want to get out of bed, and that's just not me. And I couldn't put my finger on it. Why do I feel this way? And then I would run into Tracy Hutton. Tracy has been a friend to me for 30 years. I was there when her young son, seven, Zach, was killed right beside her in a tragic single car accident. And she'll call me and she'll say, I was thinking about you. You know, today was, today was your anniversary with Angie. And you think, how awful of you to forget that date. You can't even remember your date right now, the person you're married to. But you know what I mean? There are these special things that happen. The day that you were diagnosed, the, the, the day that you got the pink slip at work, the, the day that you, you stopped, you just stopped loving your husband. And that grief will well up at times and you won't be able to recognize it unless you are looking for it. And so if grief is that giant that we can't defeat, if grief is this natural response to loss, how do we face off with this giant? And this is where I want to give you some hope. And we've got 10 minutes to do it. Number one, when confronted by grief, there's only one plan of battle, and it's God's plan. It's God's plan. It's not some psychiatrist. It's not something you're going to read in a book. If you do read it in a book, most of them have come straight from here. When confronted by grief, fully trust God's plan of battle. Remember, know your giant. We've just spent the first 20 minutes being able to recognize the giant. So know your giant, but know God better. And I want you to write this down as fast as you can because the God of the Bible looks like this. The God of the Bible is the God of all comfort. Write 211. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our time of need. He is the God of comfort. He is the God of peace. Peace that passes any earthly human understanding. How in the world can you have peace in the middle of such grief? Because God will give you peace. He's the God of hope. He's the one who created you. 
wrote down all of your days before one of them came to be, including this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. And sure, it's not going to be a happy day, but it's a day you can rejoice and be glad because he's the one in control of it. <clears throat> he is the giver of life and the keeper of our souls. He's the God who answers the question, why? And I want you to hear me, especially those of you that are older in your faith that have been led to believe by a lot of erroneous prayers that you've listened to in the years. Lord, when we get to heaven, we'll understand all of this. Malarkey. I shouldn't use that word. <laughs> Some of you know why. God will give you the answers right now. He will give you the answers here and now if you'll listen for him. If you'll watch for them, if you'll live your life within his will, he will make all things clear to you. I have no doubt. How do I know that? Because he made us a promise in Romans 8, 28, that he is at work in all things for the good of those who love him. And he's at work right now in facing off with this giant with you. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. I could go for hours on this subject. It's a second example of grief from David's life that we can learn from. Now, while you're turning there, listen to me. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 16. We'll leave it on the screen so you can find it. But in the first half of chapter 12, what do we read about David's life? We read about a low point in David's life physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He has made a huge, huge, huge blunder. He has made a choice in his life to pursue another woman that he is not married to. Her name is Bathsheba. And what I love about her name is it describes exactly where she was at when he got hooked. She was in the bathtub out on the roof. How many of you have a bathtub out on the roof? Make sure your neighbors have blinds. David opened the blinds and he looked down on her they went to bed together and didn't sleep. We've got children in the room. You know what I'm talking about. She became pregnant, and if that wasn't bad enough, David, one of his most trusted warriors, her husband, Uriah, he sent him off to battle and had him killed. And then the preacher, the preacher always has to deliver the bad news. His name's Nathan. God sends Nathan to David, confronts him with all of this. You talk about a giant. You talk about a giant. He tells David that he and Bathsheba's infant son is going to be stricken with an illness and will die. David's giant at that moment had all of the faces, right? Anger, grief, regret, bargaining, guilt. All at once. Verse 16 says, though David went to battle against this giant by turning to God and pleading with him. It says he fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. 
David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen to us. He wouldn't even eat. How can we tell him that the child is dead? He may kill himself. He may do something desperate, it says. David saw them talking, and he asked them, is the child dead? Verse 19, they replied, yes. Verse 20, then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Now, I want you to jot down some of the ways that David employed God's plan for doing battle with grief. First is this. David engaged grief with prayer. He turned to God. He turned to God. He didn't go out and tie one on with the boys. He didn't say, I need a drink. Somebody bring me a drink. He didn't raise his fist to God and curse him. Doggone it, God. How could you do this? I've been faithful to you. Oh, oh you have? He didn't turn his back on God. What did he do? He turned to the only one that could defeat this giant called grief. The only one. Did he ask God to heal his son? You bet he did. You bet he did. What daddy wouldn't? Yes, he asked God to heal his son. Did he ask God to forgive him for his sin? I'm sure he did. I'm sure he has over and over again. Verse 22 gives us this insight. I fasted and wept and thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me. What's the operative word? May. May. David didn't expect anything more from the Lord than the Lord had promised. My friends, God has never promised you and me, no matter how good you are. He has never promised you and me to spare us from the pain of loss of people that we love. God has never promised you to spare you the pain of disappointment. God has never promised to heal your every disease or to spare you from a cancer diagnosis. But what God has promised you is his grace. What God has promised you is his mercy. What God has promised you is his strength, his presence, the help of others. David knew that God was the only one with the power to deliver him from the giant of grief. Second thing is that David was surrounded with those who shared his faith in God. 
David was surrounded by those who shared his faith in God. Verse 17 says, the elders of his household stood beside him. Now he may not have gotten up to eat with them. And I want you to notice this. How many times have you come along someone in their grief and offered them a meal and they're, thank you, but I'm, I'm just not hungry. And, and some of you doting moms, you, you say, oh, now you need to eat, you need, don't do that. That's so rude. These men, they, they offered him everything, but what did they give him that mattered most? They stayed. They stayed. If you ever go to the hospital with me, if you ever make a death call with me, one of the things that you'll see is that I often just post myself there. I'll stand at the end of the bed. I'll often look in the eye of a mother or a wife. Sometimes I'll get up and I'll, I'll go and I'll get a drink of water and, and I'll just set it there. When they say, I feel like I'm going to throw up, I'll go get a towel and I'll hold it underneath their neck. But for the most part, until they ask, I try to just stand there. Sometimes I'll move to the door as if to stand guard. Sometimes people want to come and just wail all over you and they make it all about them instead of the person. David, although he didn't have anything that he needed from them, he didn't want to eat with them, he didn't want to tell jokes with them and sit around and talk with them, but he wanted those who shared his faith in God around him. Why? Because Romans twelve fifteen commands that we are to mourn with those who mourn. It's our responsibility as Christians. If you don't show up at the funeral home, shame on you. You are to mourn with those who mourn, whether you've known them for a week or you've known them for 20 years. Stand there and stand beside them. Galatians 6.2 says that the body of Christ, that's you, the church, is designed to ease the burden of its individual members. How do we do that? We listen we encourage, we walk with, we guide, we share our stories when it's appropriate. We comfort with the comfort we've received in our time of need. David allowed himself to be surrounded by those who shared his faith instead of isolating himself. And ultimately, David embraced the life that remained ahead of him, certain of heaven. Certain of heaven. When asked why he didn't continue to not eat, why he jumped up and shaved himself and put on new clothes, even put lotion on, how could he go to church on the day that his son died? David's response is clear in verse 23. Can I bring him back again? No. No. He won't come to me, but I will go with him. I will go to him. I will go to him. February 2018, anybody remember? Jessica Bailey died at the age of 32 from cancer. Her parents and her friends, this entire church family, those who knew her well and those who didn't, we had pled for the Lord to spare this beautiful young lady. We prayed and fasted. We constantly surrounded this Family, I can't tell you how many times that I heard of you being up in Floyd Knobs just standing there in the living room or, or kneeling. Some of you pull your car up outside just to pray. Jessica and her family sought out the very best medical advice and treatment available, but in the end, God chose to bring her home early. 
the day of her funeral, Jessica's mom and dad, knowing that she would not return to them, decided that they wanted to be certain that they would go to her. They had not professed their faith in Jesus Christ. They believed in God, but they had not professed their faith. They had not stood before man and said, I believe Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and I accept him as Savior and Lord of my life. They had not been baptized for the gift of the Holy Spirit that seals us for that day. That's our guarantee of going there. And so in this very room, on the day that their daughter was to be buried, they were buried in this watery grave of baptism, rising to be certain that they would go to her. Know God's plan, embrace his plan for battling grief, and then if you learn anything today, Equip those you love with the truth that they will need for their own battle. <laughs> Equip those you love with the truth that they will need for their own battle. And this may seem too practical for some of you for this setting, but I think it's one of the most important things that you could do for those you love. Make your beliefs and wishes known. Make your beliefs and wishes known. To those that you love. A couple weeks ago, my mom getting ready for knee surgery, second knee replacement surgery, called and said, I want to sit down with you and Sarah. We need to have a talk. And I was like, oh, mom, we don't need to talk. Yes, we need to talk. I've already talked to your brother and his wife. I've already talked to your sister and her husband. And I said, what do you want to talk about? She said, well, me and your dad want to be cremated when we die. That's great. Really? Your brother didn't like it. Well, I don't care what brother says. It's okay. If you want to be cremated, be cremated. We want to be buried here. That's great, Mom. We'll bury you there. Me and your dad, we want to pay for everything. That's really great, Mom. You go right ahead. You go right ahead. Don't use credit card. Use debit card. Make sure. <clears throat> I'm so grateful, right? But that's easy stuff. That's easy stuff. And listen, those of you who haven't paid for your burial, shame on you. Don't you leave that burden for your family. Pay for it now. Get it done. But my response was, great, Mom, it'll be exactly as you wish. But, Mom, there's some more important things that I want to know from you. More important? Absolutely. Listen, make a list of your own. Do you ever want to be on life support, Mom? What do you mean? Well, do you ever want to be on life support where you're dependent on a ventilator for a short time, for a long time? Do you ever want to be placed on there? And if you do, if you do, I want you to make that clear, not just in writing, but I want you to make it clear to me and especially Jonathan. He's, he's been a preacher longer than I've been. He still doesn't, doesn't get cremation, but go ahead. Explain it to him because I don't want to argue with him about it. Mom, do you want fluids when you're unable to take in fluid or nourishment do you, do you want fluids mom if you're ever unconscious do you want me to talk to you and hold your hand as if you're awake do you want to hear other people talking senseless talk at the end of your bed or you want me to tell them shut up what do you want how do you want it and I guarantee you I'll make it so which I'll do the same for any of you by the way if you want to make that known to me, I will take care of it for you. And there's more. Mom, tell me about the day you were baptized. 
Tell me about it. My dad's taken me twice. Once they get to a certain age, they forget what they did last year, right? They're hiding their own Easter eggs. But he's taken me twice. He's taken me twice to that little creek in Kentucky down from Antioch Baptist Church, and he showed me the spot where his pastor went down in the water and received him there and immersed him into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Mom, tell me about the day you were baptized. Mom, tell me, do you really trust God with everything? I mean, you've gone to church all of your life. Some of you need to have that conversation, this conversation, because you haven't seen your parents. You haven't seen any fruit. And don't count on me or anyone else to lie at the funeral or lie to you and tell you that they're in heaven. You find out for yourself right now. Why did you marry dad? <laughs> right? Tell me. Tell me what drew you two together. You've been married 56 years. Tell me about it, mom. Tell me about it. What's your favorite part of being a mom? What's the best thing that I can do for you right now in this season as your son? Mom, you know that time I wasn't truthful to you? I'm sorry for that, right? Make amends. I never meant to hurt you. I was immature and I was stupid. You're the best, mom. I recognize your sacrifice for me all these years. I love you, mom. I'll see you in heaven, mom. I'll see you in heaven. I'm sure of it because of what you've told me. And you can be sure that I'll be there too because I've followed in your footsteps and I've surrendered my life to Jesus Christ. Now, Sarah and I have had the same discussion. I told Sarah, I want you to hold my hand. I don't want life support. I want you to let me go, and I want you to help me go when the time comes. Someone said the other day about Sarah doing so good with firearms, and they said, doesn't that bother you? And I said, absolutely not. I don't want her to shoot me and maim me. I want her to send me home. And I told her, Sarah, I've got you covered. You and your next husband or boyfriend are going to have a very wealthy and enjoyable life. Enjoy it. Cash in that insurance. But you get the point. I hope you do. Take time today to have this and other discussions. Write it down, but most importantly, live in it today. And when you're faced with the giant of grief, which every one of us already has been or will be faced with the giant of grief that will show his face in many ways the rest of your earthly life. When you least expect it, you'll have what? You will have the truth. You will have the one weapon that can go against this giant and put him in his proper place in your life so that you will not be controlled by grief, but you will be controlled by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you that guarantees where you're going and will come and take you home. David summarized all of his battles with grief this way in the 23rd Psalm. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I'll fear no evil. The worst thing that Satan can do is take your life from you. And you don't even have to worry about that if you have Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is with you. He is in you. For you are with me. This weekend, we're going to leave you with a song. <coughs> Dan has got a rough throat from, from too much singing and too much vacationing. I think it's mostly too much vacation. He's not used to singing again. But we're going to leave you with a song. And while he's singing that song, you have three things that I want you to do.
Very important things. I want you to finish whatever it is that you're thinking about, even if it's lunch. I want you to finish what you're thinking about so that you don't leave this place. The thing that I love most about being a pastor and the privilege of being able to come alongside of those who are grieving is every time I'm with one of you, it reminds me to keep my things in order and to live today, not crazily, but to live today certain, packed full of truth to fight against these giants. So I leave you with this first challenge. Give your family and those you love the weapon they need to battle the giant of grief. That's the truth of who you are, the truth of whose you are, and your love for them. Your love, say what needs to be said. And second, and most importantly, God has promised his presence. Only he can bring you through grief and bring you home. And so make certain of his presence by putting your trust in him today. Be baptized. Surrender your life to him. It's the only way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'll be sitting down front. You just come up the sides. Tap me on the shoulder. I'll pray with you.